Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the 33 Fuel podcast. My name is Warren. I'm one of the co-founders at 33 Fuel, and I will be your host for this conversation today with George Anderson. Who is George Anderson, I hear you ask? Well, let me tell you. George is someone who is steeped in physical training and the world of fitness. I first met George years ago when I was writing a feature for Men's Fitness Magazine, and George was introduced to me as an expert on quality marathon training. And that's exactly what he turned out to be, because George's approach then was not to train high volume, as most marathon training programs would advocate, but was to train smart. Not dangerous, not stupid, not crazy, not some weird silver bullet hack, just train smart. And by that, this was this would focus your training down to just three runs a week in order to run your best marathon. And this isn't just something that George preached, it's also something he practiced himself. He went and ran a sub three hour marathon on exactly that training program. So as you can see, he's someone who takes performance seriously, but this was a long time ago. We've stayed in touch ever since because I love George's outlook. He's got an open mind, a very inquiring mind. He's always looking to raise the bar in his own personal, physical, business, mental, spiritual, and emotional performance. He's really someone who is prepared to go digging for the very best that he can find in himself and then find the best possible way to share that with others. And where we're going to go deep on this conversation today, there's so many angles we could have gone down. But this one today, we're going to look at identity how the way that you see yourself and the way that you define yourself is actually going to have a huge impact on who you are, um, which is a great thing if who you are is exactly who you want to be. But it can also be a great thing to understand if you're not exactly where you want to be in certain areas of your life or your performance. Because when you understand how this all works, you can start to change your identity from the inside out. And when you start to see yourself differently, then you will also start to become different. Um, so that's where we're going, and it's a fascinating topic that just opens so many possibilities for all aspects of human performance. Um, because really, that is what we're about here at 33 Fuel. It's about giving athletes the best possible tools to become the best versions of themselves they can be, whether that's in terms of race performance, uh, relationship performance, business performance. We are all about high performance. So we do that by uh, sharing all this great content on our podcast, like here, uh, also on our vlog, on our YouTube channel, uh, across our social media, on our blogs. We are all over it. And we also execute this mission at 33fuel.com with the very best high-performance natural sports nutrition so that you can raise your game. Anyway, look, do check out our uh, products at 33fuel.com, but don't do that until you've enjoyed this podcast with George Anderson. George Anderson, in the flesh, it has taken us two and a bit years, I think. It has been two years. I was checking back through my messages, and uh, it was about two years ago in August, so over two years. But uh, I said, oh, Warren, I'm going to have to reschedule our podcast today, but I had a flat tire or something. And then here we are two years later, there's one hell of a flat. <laughs> well, I think we got through some of the longest ever games of phone tennis. Oh, they were months. Months long they went. Yeah, that was a, something of a record. It, it was. The delights of uh, busy diaries and, uh, well, let's say good intentions, great plans, mm -hmm. and here they are. But the best things are the things that you need to wait for a bit. They need to grow. They need time to germinate. Um, the good news is the kind of themes we were looking at examining two years ago, they're not just still relevant. I think there's so much more you can talk about them yeah. now as opposed yeah. to then. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, we've you know, had this back and forth, which we talk about, we've had a few phone calls when the voice rail tennis eventually did break the rally um, and we got to speak to each other. And the, I, I just love talking to you anyway. And we always, you start off thinking, let's talk about this. And it goes off on a tangent and we end up kind of coming away from it. Well, certainly I do thinking, oh, that's really, that was fascinating. We should record that one day. <laughs> and, and now we actually are. But you're right. I, mean, I, I find the same thing that we've had so many conversations about stuff over the years. It began. I mean, I think we first connected through men's fitness, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. That was um, Joel Snape. I think I've got in touch with Joel, and he had done a piece on uh, training for an Ironman CrossFit style. I remember the piece in the magazine, so I got in touch and said, "Hey, look, I'm doing similar stuff, training marathons with just a few runs a week." 
and um, and then he put me in touch with you to do a piece on marathon training. I think. I think it was. It was a. It was a. It was a run training piece, and uh, and that's where we're sort of going to go with this conversation, or at least as a, a thread to, to kick us off. The idea of what you say you are, what you badge yourself as, and how that positively or negatively can affect your growth, your development, and how you perform in your life. Because like me, you've worn many different badges over the years. So when we met at that point, you were absolutely full on with your running and your run coaching, and and that was where everything was at. Yeah, certainly when I came into the fitness industry in 2002, having uh, I mean, my, my degree at Loughborough University was in automotive engineering, so not, not an obvious step, but I'd done my gym qualifications and then been working part-time as a gym instructor, so it kind of made sense to me to go into just PT, personal training. But after a, a year or so, it became very apparent that actually if I wanted to do any, kind of make any, uh, any waves in this industry and, and have the kind of impact that I wanted to have, I was going to have to pick, pick a lane, like decide what am I going to specialise in? Everyone says, oh, you've got to specialise, you've got to just be one thing. Uh, and to an extent, that's true. And something we'll definitely get into in the course of today's conversation, I'm sure. But I, I decided very early on, because I was in Reading, and the Reading Half Marathon was just being rejuvenated by the sweatshop, and it was almost kind of crashing and burning, and then they, they got it back on track. It's a huge event now. So I partnered with them and became a training partner for a, a number of years, over a decade, actually. Um, and, and that really made me realize that I could just say, well, I'm, I'm a running coach because I was always probably doing a lot of running, um, obviously I had my coaching, and so I just brought the two passions and skill sets together and said, well, this is what I'm, this is what I'm all about. So I labeled myself as George the Running Guy. And as George the Running Guy, one of your big things was working smart as opposed to necessarily working hard. You, yeah. you referred to it earlier, earlier and I think that's how uh, you come onto the men's fitness radar was marathon training on two runs a week, mm. can you do it? Now, this is uh, you know, that idea of the 80-20 and sort of focusing on the things that make the biggest difference. You didn't just sort of teach that as theory. You did it yourself. I mean, you ran a sub-three-hour marathon. Yeah, we just. <laughs> That's a, that was a very, very painful last few miles, I tell you. The court marathon, yeah. Um, sub-three is a sub-three. Yeah, absolutely. On, on your two runs a week. And I wanted to, I really did want to test out this, this theory. And actually, from there, I, I developed the, what I call the Intelligent Running Series. So I've got the I Marathon, the I Half, the I Ten Project. And, but they're all based on three runs a week. I figured two runs probably was a bit extreme for most people. But three seemed to get a good balance between doing enough quality training, but not doing the junk miles that a lot of running training programs have in them, that seemed to lead to, to injury. And what I realized was that more runners were failing to get to the start line than those who got to the start line and failed to get to the finish. So if you can get to the start line in reasonable shape, uh, again, 80-20, you might be 80% of the conditioning that you might potentially get to, but you'll get there. And you'll, you'll obviously can't completely eradicate the risk of injury, but you'll reduce dramatically the risk of injury by focusing on the quality and the conditioning work that goes around that. So that's the thing that I wanted to try and not just prove, because I'm sure other people have done similar, but I wanted to use that as the the, the launch pad to demonstrate and to um, perhaps inspire or challenge people's perceptions to think, well, I do quite fancy running a marathon, and I've always said I haven't got the time to train six days a week. Maybe there is an alternative approach, and and that was the idea of doing the the two-run-a-week training program. So then as the, the evolution into your own uh, both business, professional, personal outlook goes, George the running guy, George the marathon guy, maybe higher half marathon, marathon, this is where you're at, um, then becomes George the ultra marathon guy as you start running, well, you ran your first 100 miler, or was it, did you do the seven marathons in seven yeah, days? Yeah, ten, 10 marathons in 10 days. Don't forget those last three marathons. Uh, three three marathons is a lot. So I did the 10, the 10 in 10, and, and that was... I guess that was um, in, in many ways inspired by uh, yourself, uh, a friend of mine, um, well, you know, as well, you presented alongside him, Joey Duffy, yeah. um, uh, over in Ireland, and uh, uh, Alex Bellini as well, another kind of mutual friend, um, ultra adventurer. And I sort of looked at what, what other people were doing, and you were the, the ultra children of Blanc and another um, escapades. And I, I had this idea of sort of interviewing 
people like you and finding out well what was it what was driving you what was your mindset like what was your your sequencing of figuring out what challenge you were going to take on when there's so many different things you could do and somebody somebody said to me as a guy who I was um, just having a coffee with he was a broadcaster with, um, out in Oxford he said George I was telling him this George you need to write your own narrative and and that was that was such a, a moment for me that's kind of Oh my goodness, like, I can just go out and do something like this myself and figure these things out for myself. And of course, I leaned on you, I leaned on Jerry and Alex and other people I knew to kind of get your advice and your wisdom. But then I, I went out and I got that experience as well for myself and, and had a you know, thoroughly uh, enlightening time doing it. And so the 10 marathons in 10 days was my first foray into the world of kind of multi-day uh, ultra-endurance events. So that's, that's the first long really longer distance 10 marathons 10 days and good point you make there that you know everyone who goes to do anything like this uh whether it's starting business creating something new in their life or a sporting challenge is standing on the shoulders of everyone who came before Absolutely. someone has done this Your, yours will be different but learn from those people who've done it so you know you did that but also then that was something that you were able to share with your audience who are they're two steps behind and that they're doing the marathons and things, maybe they want to do this. You use all your teaching skills to bring that out. George the marathon guy, now it's George 10 marathon guy. It then becomes George ultra marathon guy, you run 100, and then after that you're thinking, well, George the Ironman guy, you went, went and did the Ironman. Yeah, that, that was the big sort of first big major departure from just running. And for me, that was actually more about the swimming than, than anything else. And I figured that. You know, there were so many different ultras out there, so many different amazing adventures that I could I could potentially go on, and people were very quick to say, "Oh, you should try this one, try that one, try that." Amazing opportunities, um, but actually, the reality was both the ten ten and the ultra, which was Endure twenty four down in the rain, uh, which is a five mile loop. So you just keep on going around for twenty four hours, and both of those were quite convenient for me. So they didn't take like, ten and ten. I did made my own route, made my own event up and just went and did it by myself. Bit of support, you ran a few laps with me. Um, Alex came down, Alex came down. down. Yeah, and so we had, we had, you know, but, but it, I mean, had half of team come and join you. Yeah, for the last one, that was great. <laughs> Police escort in for the finish. Um, but it was still very convenient. So even actually on that, in that week and a half that I was doing it for, I was also doing the school run. It, I decided that September the 2nd, my birthday, was a great time to do something like this, nice and poignant. And uh, I forgot that that was also the day my children went back to school. And that's like, it, three, three children. Three, three children. You know, yeah. So it's, it, convenient is very important. It has to yeah, be doable. Exactly. So I had to fit in with my lifestyle. I, didn't, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, I didn't want to go and do a, like the Marathon des Sables, for example. You know, one day maybe. But at that time, my life it wasn't the right thing for me to do. But I still wanted to get the challenge aspect. So I, I ended up doing it, but then having to also do the school run, because my wife was also back to work that, that week, that same day. So it was kind of really bad timing in the end, but it was still, that, that all added to it. Right? It was a whole logistics and organization that was a part of that challenge. It wasn't just the fitness, turn up and run a marathon, then recover and do it again the next day. Um, so having done that and then done 100, it was, well, well, what next? I had all these opportunities, and I realized that it was just a case of doing the same but different and, and more of what I could already do. I knew I could run, but it wasn't it wasn't that next step change and challenge. Whereas the Ironman did give me that because I couldn't swim more than two lengths of a pool, which was you know, a little bit embarrassing, but <laughs> at the same time I know that feeling. But at the same time it was it was my opportunity to to go through that whole beginner's stage and that beginner's mind, the whole Zen thing, right? approaching things from a completely, like everything was new. Ultra running was just more of the same. Swimming was just completely different. So that was the thing that really appealed to me about Ironman. So then after all that, as this is growing, you know, you've got the, the coaching business, the online coaching, all the other things you're doing, but at the same time, you're starting to put on more events that go a little broader, starting to look at mindset and other things. And this is where we come to the, the big shift because Am I right in saying that now, you know, if you were to meet somebody fresh now, the areas of business you're looking at, the kind of people you're looking to reach in and, and sort of affect and help, 
you're not George the running guy anymore, you're not really George the endurance guy anymore. I mean, what what would you describe yourself as now? So, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, and it, it's, it's, I guess, really is the, the essence of this conversation that we're having today, is like, how do you label yourself? And I made a very conscious decision a few years ago, that I wanted to move away from being George the running guy, because I was reaching beyond that, that, those boundaries that people identified me as, and I was identifying myself as, this, well, I'm, I'm, I'm deviating too far. So I said, well, what if I were to just to shift away from that and, and actually just own my space and decide that this is what I'm interested in, this is the message I want to give. So it became a lot more about mindset, motivation, um, and, and, and just well-being in general. And well-being is a word that's evolved itself over the last decade, two decades, especially with the the the, um, the influence of positive psychology, which is the study of well-being, the scientific study of well-being and happiness. And it's not so much about the physical, but it's about the mindset. It's about the psychology. How do you actually take yourself from doing okay and take it up to a point where you're flourishing? And, and I was doing my thing with the fitness and the nutrition and the, the mindset and motivation, and then I. I sort of evolved into doing a lot more of the the, the, the the mindset, but still applied to runners, to people who wanted to lose weight, turn up, get fit, which is the main market for personal trainers. And, and I wanted to get deeper into the reasons why that was important, the things that were stopping people and holding them back, and actually how to help them remove some of those barriers. And I realized that this was actually very applicable to many other audiences as well. Um, and so now, over the last certainly two, two and a half years, I've been making real inroads into um, identifying myself as a, a speaker, as a motivational speaker, not just someone who goes away and rah, rah, you know, get motivated, but, but with a message of, you mentioned about 80-20 here, progress not perfection is a big thing that I talk a lot about. Progress not perfection, Pro you say? Yeah, so progress not, it, progress not perfection is something that you know, many people use that, that, that expression. But for me, it's more than just a, a, a bumper sticker, right? It, it means something, and it's my philosophy for life. It's, it's, it's in evidence in all the ultra things that I've done in my business and, and everything. Because what I've noticed with myself and with other people that I've worked with is if you, if you say, this is what I want to achieve, this is what I have to do, this is the way I have to go about doing it, and that's perfect, but it's unsustainable. Whereas if you have more of a progressive approach, right, I just want to make a bit more progress with this, I want to do a bit better, and you keep on making that like relentless forward progress, then you get to where you want to be, but you've done it in a way that builds confidence and momentum rather than building overwhelm and the all or nothing cycle that so many people are familiar with when it comes to diet in particular. Um, so I, I wanted to share those messages that actually you can do pretty well without having to try and do it all. And, and also that the benefits of taking care of yourself, whether that's through your diet, your activity and exercise, your sleep, also super important, hydration, all of these physical well-being things, they're not just about losing weight. They're not just about uh, training for an event. These are things that are going to make you feel better right now, like immediately and over the course of the next few hours, say the next 24 hours, the decisions you make with your food, exercise, sleep again the next day. What a difference it makes, right, when you've had a good night's sleep. Yeah, it's So that was, I wanted to help people make that connection between the choices they make on a daily basis and how they, how they feel and how they perform inside their heads with their relationships, in the workplace, Productivity, concentration, ability to collaborate, people tolerance, and all of these important things when you're working, um, and and just be happier, right? To have better experience of life, and that's what that's what I wanted to start becoming more of, rather than just the running guy. Because I think that's also why uh, we've connected a lot over the years. Is the running was the common ground mm -hmm. that brought us together, but I've always found it very um, sort of stimulating and inspiring that the way you look at whether it's problem solving or health and well-being in general, or movement, or you know how do you approach your business, how do you break things down, and, and you take it way beyond the running sphere, even though that was where we we first connected. And in terms of that development, for you to become 
um, you know, in terms of your identity, what you project and, and what, what you bring back in terms of, you know, this is what I'm going to take into the world, this is what I'm going to give to people. Um, that is now related to so much more than just running it, you know, and that identity you've had to change to achieve that. You've had to, to a degree, kill off or stop being George the running guy. Yeah. And how do you find that transition whereby, you know, that thing that you were very good at and, and that has become a part of your personality in order for the next one to, for you to evolve mm -hmm. and to get to where you want to go, you kind of have to get rid of that really comfortable, well-established yeah. ground and personality. How, how did that transition work? So I, I, I think, I think there's actually a part of me that, that, that fears being labelled and being put in a box. I remember when I was doing, as well as the running, uh, my, my local business, when I, I lived um, in Tame, near, just outside of Oxford, well, actually, Long Crendon, just outside of Tame, just outside of Oxford. Uh, no one's ever heard of Long Crendon, <laughs> let alone Tame. So, um, and I used to run a boot camp. So I had a bit of a business going there. I, I was running maybe seven or eight sessions a week. I had a couple of instructors working for me, different locations, Oxford, Aylesbury, Tame. And uh, people would, would know me in, in the town. So I was, I was you know, not well known, but people would, would stop me in the street sometimes and say, well, you're George the Bootcamp guy. Or they'd introduce me as George the Bootcamp guy. And that was great for the business. But then eventually it's like, you know, I don't want to be put in that box of being George the Bootcamp guy. And it was a, probably a two or three years after that that I eventually moved away from that business as well and, and, and passed that on, which is still running now, to one of my, co one of my coaches runs it. Um, and he's done a great job of evolving that, and it's now his thing. But that was a very, that was a, it was like a line in the sand. It's like I, I wasn't just transitioning away and trying to call myself something different. I had to make the decision, I'm not going to do the boot camp anymore. Um, and because I wanted to free myself up to evolve into doing other things. And, and it was partly wanting to expand and to, to do more of what I was really, really kind of passionate about and, and reaching more people and having more impact and inspiring people to take action so that they can thrive more in their lives. Well, that's my personal purpose-led mission statement, if you will. Um, but it was, there was definitely part of me that was like, I feel like I've been boxed in here. Um, and, and the boot camp, the running, George the running guy, George the boot camp guy, I have no doubt that at some point in the future, um, if I feel like I'm being boxed in as George the, the speaker, I'll probably want to make another shift. I think I've got a good balance at the moment with the things that I'm doing. There's coaching, there's speaking, there's delivering workshops and in corporate and so on on well-being and habit building and resilience. Um, and then there's uh, my online program. So I have a number of different online um, groups and products and, and all sorts of other things. And it all is synergistic, it's all working in the same direction, all the same messages, but just delivered in different ways. Um, but I'm fairly sure that this isn't going to be me until I retire, right? There'll be another evolution at some point. <laughs> it's like a, a, a constant period of flux, but a period where you're controlling the direction you go in, and you have to almost shed different skins in order to become that, that next thing as part of that next goal. And I can certainly... Uh, empathize with that having so for years uh from university and then my, my original job as a journalist was all to do with motorbikes i did not drive a car till i was 30. So whiskey as well wasn't that one of your things like whiskey became one of my things for a bit i mean yeah, yeah i mean who, no one would have expected that given given what i now do but the, the motorcycle thing was like oh yeah he's the guy who rides motorbikes he rides his motorbikes and and i dropped that completely yeah. there came a point where I'd had my fill, literally. I've been like a kid in a sweet shop forever. And a lifetime obsession, motorbikes were one of my first ever words as a kid. Um, just a guy next door had a scooter and I was obsessed with it. A lifetime obsession kind of just was done. And that you know, people still who haven't seen me in 10 years go, oh, have you still got motorbikes? I haven't ridden one in four years. And they, 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 you know, that's a surprise to people, but it shows how what you project or what you, you know, is, is even people need labels to understand who someone is to fast track sense of the process. Who, you know, that question, what do you do? Well, it's not a great question, um, but we all ask it because it helps us understand, okay, we, this person is, it gives us an idea and we're able to have something we can base the rest of the conversation on when we don't know someone rightly or wrongly, but that's the importance of your identity and the label mm -hmm. you put out. 
Um, in your experience, where do you see people's identity labels as being either most helpful or even least helpful? Uh, I think, kind of circling back around to something you just said there about you, know, you have this identity and people ask you, what do you do? I remember when I was a personal trainer, and that was the main thing that I did. It was very easy to say, well, I'm a personal trainer, because people understood what that is. Like, the kids were asking, well, what do you do, Daddy? <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> they're different things. It's like I hope people feel better. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a doctor. No, I'm not a doctor. Um, so it's like... So it's the still, kids need a label. The, the kids, like, yeah, exactly. We all need labels, and it makes complete sense, right? We need to make sense of the world around us, and... And it, we all do it. We, we pigeonhole people. We say, well, that, they're there, they're there. We do it subconsciously because it helps us not have to waste energy trying to figure things out all the time. It's like, are they, are they, are they a threat to us? Are they uh, an ally or a helper? Or are they neutral? Um, and you know, can they help us with what we're doing or, or not? And it, we don't often think of on that as a conscious, on a conscious level, but it's still happening on a subconscious level. We need to understand what we'll do. So... It, it can be very helpful for us to have a sense of labeling because it means that it, it's something that makes sense to us and that we can very easily describe to somebody else. Um, there's a big thing in marketing, I'm sure you've come across it, where people say, uh, or business coaches will say, right, what you do is if you're introducing yourself to someone at a networking event, you don't say what you, what you are, you say what you, what you do. So like, oh, hey, hey George, how you doing? What, what, what do you do for anything? Oh, I, I help people transform their lives. Oh, well, that's interesting. Tell me more. It's like, so no one ever. <laughs> but, but the idea being, like, the I mean, it depends when, 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 you know, if, if people are expecting a job title, you come back with that. That's a bit like, well, yeah. It, it is a bit of an in to conversation, but it, in the way it's taught that that's how you should do it, it's very, very, um, I feel it's very inauthentic. And actually, a lot of the time, people just want to know, you know what area, <laughs> what do you do? Are you an architect? You're an accountant? Are you a lawyer? Are you a personal trainer? Are you in fitness? So I kind of say, oh, I'm in the well-being world. You know, I'm a speaker and a coach and an author, and I do things I help people. So I kind of keep it fairly, fairly vague, because then if they want to find out more, then there's the opportunity there. But I don't want to like, like, you know, I, I help people thrive more in their life. Come on, ask me. Ask me how I do. That is fascinating. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more about that. So, Look, what are you? I think that's. I think that's kind of a me thing because I'm not a natural networker, and I, I, I'd much rather in those situations find out about the other person anyway. Um, but certainly, having a label, it's not just to help other people. It helps us as well. I think to say, well, this is who I am, and we have labels for who we are in. in with the family unit, in the community, in our work or business life as entrepreneurs or as employees or employers. Like, I'm the boss, I'm the employee, I'm the team member. And, and we kind of need to know our standing, we need to know who we are. It's fine to kind of want more and to want to evolve, but it's still useful to have those um, those labels that we put on ourselves to say, well, this is, this is who I am now, this is how I'm described. But... That could also be a hindrance, which is your question, where is it useful, where is it not useful? Because if you label yourself as being um, somebody who's you know, the kind of person who, who just I just need to follow, right? or I, I'm just somebody who's, I'm not very confident, or I'm no good at public speaking, or I'm, I could never do that. There's beliefs there about the kind of person that we are, and our limitations of ability or, or learning, and that is where we can hold ourselves back. Because all of a sudden, Anything that's contrary to that, you know, evidence that's contrary to that, we, we ignore that and we just look for the evidence that backs up our claim that this is who I am. Um, and I think that's where we can run into problems with labelling ourselves too much. So it's interesting you mentioned there the, where the labelling can become less helpful uh, in terms of an identity. Is when people are saying, oh, I could never do that or that's not me. So it's very common in fitness because it's maybe because it's a little more black and white by I could never run a marathon. Yeah. But it could also be, oh I could never start my own company. I could never uh, ask my boss for a raise, whatever it might be. Um, now do you think there's something there in the thought process, the self-identity, the beliefs that are inside, and the language that are used, that whole cocktail that produces that instant reaction which is I could never do X. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's always about the things you tell yourself. 
Right. The, the filters that you have all around is these things we call cognitive distortions. So our perception, our model of the world isn't reality. Yours will be different to mine, it'll be different to you know the man in the street down there, or you know, everybody else will, will filter things in a different way depending on expectations, experiences, perspectives, and, and beliefs, things that we just had drilled into us as being the truth. And our beliefs could come from anywhere, be they subconscious when we were five years old through to something we just saw in a movie last week. Yeah, it, exactly. It's normally from, you know, we build a lot of these beliefs, these big foundational subconscious beliefs from a very early age, beliefs about money, beliefs about relationships, beliefs about uh, career, beliefs about what we should do, um, what's acceptable, what's polite. And, and you know, a lot of the time when, when I'm coaching clients, we see these beliefs coming through in the language that we use. So you've got these superficial manifestations of those beliefs with the things we say out loud, but more importantly, the things we say to ourselves. And most people think that they're crazy because they have these conversations going on inside their heads, but everybody does. And it's the quality of those thoughts, the quality of those conversations that in general will influence the quality of your experience of life. Um, this is the whole thing around resilience. It's the ABC. You've got your adversity, the thing that happens. You've got the beliefs that you tell yourself, and then you've got the consequences, how it makes you feel and what it makes you do next. So if you're telling yourself positive stories and you can flip bad things into positive takeaways, then that's going to have an impact on how you feel and probably when you get up and try again or say, well, I knew that was going to happen. Those kind of things always happen to me. And, and that again comes into, brings us back around to the whole thing around identity. These sorts of things always happen to people like me. And if you tune into some of the language, if you take anything from this, then the if you ever hear yourself saying people like me or things happen to people like me or anything or like that. Or this always happens to me or why does this always happen to me or I could never. Then it's worth just stepping back and, and challenging that because there's normally evidence to the contrary but the negativity bias that we all have to where we, we focus on the bad things, we focus on the threats, the things that could harm us and we, we don't give so much credit and um, and power to the things that are positive in our lives. So that, and if you don't believe that, just watch the news. Yeah. One person gets killed on holiday, uh, that's news, but five million people went on holiday, had a brilliant time. Well, yeah, yeah well, that's, that's not newsworthy. And, and, and it makes sense, that's how, we've, how we're still here uh, from an evolutionary perspective, because when there's a saber-toothed tiger around every corner, you want to make sure that you're alert for those things. There could be danger that's going to kill you. Um, but we still have that part of our brain that, that stops us from fully experiencing our life because if we just focus on those negative things without questioning it, it's not to say we shouldn't acknowledge where there's dangers to our physical or psychological well-being, but if we don't challenge it and look at it with a, the, a wider perspective, that's where we can start becoming almost um, prisoners of our own minds, prisoners of our own stories and beliefs. Uh, and it's it's one of the most rewarding things in, in my career, in my life, uh, when I'm working with clients and they, they, they recognize when those are beliefs instead of truths and, and they start challenging them and all of a sudden they start changing their behaviors and changing their experience of life. Because that, am I right in thinking that the, the part of the brain that is on the lookout for the thing that might kill us, that is, you know, be careful, you know, this is dangerous, that might happen, um, is so hardwired into us that, you know, you might be able to consciously override it for one day, but long term, you cannot consciously override it, so you have to build a process to get around it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely parts where it's, it's a reaction, and you have this whole reaction, but then the response. So it's like emotions. We, we don't get to choose if we're going to be scared if someone jumps out from behind a bush at us. Like, it happens automatically. But then we can process that initial reaction and make a, a different meaning of it compared with, uh, with other people. Um, take, for example, uh, somebody... You know, you send a message to somebody. Well, here's a little kind of a funny example. You send a message to somebody on WhatsApp or Messenger and uh, you see that there's a kind of a grey tick appears and then a blue tick appears. They've right. read it, they've read it, but they haven't responded to you, right? So an immediate reaction might be to think, oh, well, they haven't responded to me. Why, what's, what's wrong? You're having a conversation, they just stopped, did I say something wrong? Um, 
and then a response might be, well, you know, there could be all kinds of reasons why they haven't just they haven't got back to me yet. Maybe they just you know picked it up on the fly, uh, or maybe they just need to think about it for a moment. Um, so we 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 will interpret it different ways depending on how quickly we can get ourselves back to the logical centers of the brain. If we get caught up and we're feeling a bit insecure and we're feeling a little bit you know, not very robust with our you know with our sense of certainty and self-esteem, and somebody's done something like that to us, well that's how it appears, then it's very easy to get caught up in that more emotional way of thinking and saying, well it's something what have I done wrong? It becomes all about us. What I say, and then you're replaying the message in your head. I say, what did I do wrong? Yeah, you know that that, well, that last message was a bit off as well. Go back and look at them again. Go back, and you start tearing yourself up inside. And then they come. Oh, sorry, I literally opened that message and I dropped my phone, uh, and, and it, went, it went off. I have to charge it up yeah. or whatever. And there's a, there's normally a, a, a good reason for for that happening. But when you break that down like that, it sounds like the talk of a crazy person, right? Mm-hmm. We vocalize that. Yeah. And the internal voice uh, can, you know, if you were to talk to anyone else like that, you'd probably expect them to punch you in the face yeah. because you can be pretty unkind with it. Um, but to go back to your point of, you know, when people catch themselves saying, you know, I could never, or mm. why does this always happen to me, or, well, you know, that always happens to me because, and these are, you know, and you, you use those as a trigger to catch yourself. What do you recommend as a, a sort of basic format or process for, okay, the, the first bit is the self-awareness, you've got to catch yourself. So you've got to put yourself on guard yeah, for that. Yeah. But how do you then, okay, I've caught it, but now what do I do? Because you know it might be a good day, it might be a bad day, whatever, you know, I might be feeling like I can do anything, and, and it's very easy to have a process. It might be one of those days when you're not feeling great. Now, actually, how do you, yeah, I, I think very interesting. How, how would you process that? Now, I've caught it, what am I going to do? Yeah, so there are two uh, sentence stems that can be quite useful for this. One of them is to finish the sentence, that's not true because dot, dot, dot. So when you say, well, that's not true because, and then you force yourself to think about all the reasons why that's not true. And this is particularly the case if you're using words like every time, always, never. Because you only have to find one exception to that rule to then disprove it, right? right. Well, there was a time when... The, the, the toast didn't land butt side down. So therefore, it doesn't always land that way out. Um, so that's the first one. That's not true because. Um, the second one is, um, actually, <laughs> I can't remember what the second one is now. Um, uh, no, <laughs> that's the last here, here we go, here we go, here we go. Back on, back on now, back online now. The, the second one is, a better way of looking at that would be, so if you're so you depersonalized, and you depersonalize, like, well, okay, this is the way I'm looking at the moment. The implication there is that you're um, you're taking yourself out of the equation. You're looking at it from a wider perspective. So you go back to your point that some of the things we say to ourselves, like you would never dream of saying to to another person. But if somebody was saying those things about themselves to you as a friend, you say, well, what's a better way of looking at that? And so you're looking at not saying, well, I have to look at it this way, but what would a better way of looking at it be? And this is where we get into the realms of higher quality or better accuracy with our thinking. Because um, that's all our beliefs are. They're just inaccurate thought processes. So how do we improve the quality and the accuracy? Well, we get that perspective. Yes, you're right. You have to catch it in the moment. So you have to have the awareness. But actually it works if you do it in retrospect as well. So at the end of the day, you're journaling, you're writing down the, the sentence then, a better way of looking at that would be dot, 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 and then you just bang, write down a list. Because the more you do that and reflect on it in this journaling without judgment kind of way, what happens is you become better then at catching it in the moment. So it's a process. You don't just suddenly become aware and able to do this. You just progress a lot of perfection, right? You just get a bit better at it. And the more you are able to catch yourself doing this, the better your experience of life again. And in terms of that catching yourself, is there something to be said for the idea that it could be, you know, particularly for guys, I think, and particularly in the uh, sporting space, if you've achieved, you know, a degree of competence in your chosen sport or in your career, and there's like you talking about swimming, the idea of being a beginner again can be off-putting. Therefore, you know, this should be a simple thing. It's just something in my head. It's my head. They're my thoughts. I should be able to work this out in about a week, right? 
there's a lot harder than that. Um, is there something to say for the idea that even when you've caught the thought to try and meditate, and you know, an hour later the thought is back again, mm-hmm. or you know, and you, you just can't sort it out. That time you did catch it, that was one rep. That yes. was like going for yeah. that first Absolutely. run. And you're going to be able to lift it two reps next time. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to be able to, you know, bench press your body weight or whatever you want to get yeah. to, but you're not going to do this the first time and bench yeah. press your body weight. But people expect to be able to. It's like, well, I, 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 I don't have a positive mindset. You know, I run events called Cultivating a Positive Mindset. And I say, like, you come along to this event, you're not going to leave with a positive mindset, but what you'll have are the tools, the habits that you can start laying down that will help you work towards that. And if you're at a 3 out of 10 at the moment, if you can be a 4 out of 10 this time next week, or a 5 out of 10 the week after that, because you put these habits into practice, then that is progress that's going to start having a noticeable impact. Um, But when you tell yourself, again, the stories that we say, if you tell yourself that, well, I should be able to do this, because other people can. It's just like the running a marathon. Well, I should be able to run a marathon. I've never run in my life, but I should be able to. Nobody says that. Nobody believes that they should be able to do it. Normally, the complete opposite. Like, I'll never be able to do that. Um, but we put that pressure on ourselves to, to kind of perform at these higher cognitive levels. And, and the reality is that actually, if we just gave ourselves a little bit of slack, took away the judgment, the self-judgment, because that's all it is, and said, well, I'm just going to get a bit better and I'm going to work on this. And you know, if I don't catch myself every time, it doesn't matter. Because if I keep going with these habits, and that journaling thing in the evening, by the way, is a really powerful way of building that self-awareness. You've got mindfulness and meditation practices and breathing practices. These are great. That's like going to the gym and training. But if you also do the journaling at the end of the day and reflect back on the day, or the morning for the day before if you want to, um, then it just starts to tune you into these situations where you did have these more destructive, negative thinking patterns. And, and the more you do that, the more aware you become of it. And hey, presto, then you become aware in the moment, not just on reflection at the end of the day. So in terms of that journaling process, because it, it's, a lot of this stuff is very attractive to people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, whether, yeah and it's the same way that uh, becoming good at a sport is attractive. Well, of course, you know, I, I would like to have a more positive belief about myself and be able to project that and, you know, then project that in my identity, which also reflects how people then respond to you. You know, this can be really majorly life-changing stuff and very attractive. But there's also that thing of, like you said, it has to be convenient. So you yeah. didn't go and run the marathon to start precisely because you still had to do the school run. So, yeah. Yeah, I want to do the challenge. I'm going to build it in a way that fits with my life. So, you know, if people are like, well, okay, I need to be super fit. I need to eat perfectly. I've got to be great in my career. I've got to be there for my kids the whole time. There's a lot of, and I've got to journal at night, you know. Mm -hmm. So if this is something that people think, yeah, I like the sound of this and I feel like there's stuff I could really get from it. What would you recommend as a best practice way to begin bringing that journaling in as as a thing you do? So the, probably the easiest and highest leverage piece of journaling you could do is the, the gratitude log, which is a bit different to the whole reflecting on negative mindset and thought processes, but it still ramps up your ability to become aware in the moment, and it gives you the benefit of actually feeling pretty good when you're doing it. So all you're doing here is just thinking about three good things that have happened to you maybe during the course of the day or the last few days. Uh, And doing this on a regular basis has been proven to have an impact on your levels of happiness, um, rates of depression as well over a a kind of six-month period when a lot of these studies are being carried out. And and it doesn't take very long to do either. Plus, it's quite a nice thing to do. So you're literally sitting there and you're jotting down. You don't have to write pages and pages. It takes like three minutes, one minute per thing. You just write down, oh yeah, I... Um, I had a really nice catch up with Warren earlier today. And then your mind goes back to doing that thing. So I'm really kind of grateful for that. It's just a really nice way to spend the day. So I had some great positive emotions, good bit of connection, uh, really nice time. He's going to make me a really nice lunch later on. <laughs> yeah, I'll see what's in the fridge. <laughs> um, but I will. But, but, but you, you, you think about that one thing, and even just for a few moments doing that at the end of the day, it just makes you feel happy again. You get to relive it, you savour 
the experience. And by reliving it, you, you then, like, I'm grateful right now, I'm happy right now, but by reliving it again later on in the day, I get to re-experience that. Plus, it makes me better tuned in to recognizing when good things are happening in the moment that they're happening. So you don't have to then wait to the end of the day and think, okay, what was I grateful for today? Oh, there's this, this, and this. Because yeah. you're actually noticing more of it when it's happening. Here's another one that I can put on the list later. Yeah, exactly, and you start really immersing yourself. Like I walked out of the house the other day, we've got this lovely um, kind of tree in the, in the front garden. I don't know what kind of tree it is, but the leaves go beautiful, orangey, reddy color. Um, and I just walked out there, I just stood there for a few moments uh, and just looked at the tree and thought, wow, what, you know, how amazing to have that, that tree in those vibrant colors like in my front garden as I walk out of the house. Fantastic, when I got on my day. And so I was grateful there and then, and I reflected on that later on. So it doesn't have to be big things. It can be the little things as well. But what a difference having that practice makes to your um, to, to how you go through your day and, and how that offsets some of the negative stuff that does happen to all of us, the challenges, the problems, the, the things we, we have to deal with. Um, again, negativity bias, we're more likely to focus on the things that aren't going right or are missing uh, in our lives or within us compared with the things that we do have in abundance. So this is about trying to rebalance the equation there and, and pay more attention to the good things. And by doing that, it also helps tune us into our own thought processes, which goes back into what we we're saying there about um, the, you know, tracking the negative thought patterns. So that would be my advice for anybody who's looking at doing some really simple access way into journaling. Just the, the three good things exercise. Each evening, do it on your phone, uh, just on a notepad on your phone, or just write them down, old school, pen and paper, uh, and do it for a week, and notice what you notice about the difference it makes. And, and that, I guess you could also regard as, because everyone's got three or four minutes. Mm. Um, you know, just switch your phone off, eight o'clock at night, don't go near social media, there's two hours right back for everyone. <laughs> yeah. um, at that point, you've only got to come up with three things, that's not an onerous list. Mm -hmm. And I love your point that it can be, you know, it could be, well, you know, it was my kid's birthday and Elton John flew in and sung live in the garden. Now, that would be something to be grateful for. Yeah, that would be something to be grateful for. But it doesn't have to be that because it could literally be as simple as, wow, we've got drinking water out of a tap. You know, yeah. how many million people in the world don't have drinking water out of a tap? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was on the train on the way in from, uh, from, from Tame this morning and uh, the train before had been cancelled, this one had to make an extra stop, so it was super packed. So I had to stand up, and uh, I'm not great at just like standing and you know, not doing stuff. Um, but then I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, what am I grateful for? And as I stood there, I was, well, you know, I, I've got the ability to get on a train and be in London within 45 minutes. You know, how fantastic is that? Um, I'm warm. Um, you know, I, I can I, stand. I, I can stand up. I can walk on the train, and I can stand so, up. So, so all of these thoughts. That's that's what I chose in that moment to fill my mind with. Instead of being like, flipping out, these trains. When are they going to sort this trains? out? And they're always better. like this. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they are, but I only have to do it. <laughs> now, coming into London is still. I do it infrequently enough, so it's still exciting yeah. and a novelty. I'm not sure I want to do it every day. But um, point point is, you you get to decide the thoughts. There's a great. Bruce Lee quote, um, where he says, the mind is a fertile garden, um, and you can choose whether you feed the, the weeds or the plants. And, and that's exactly what it is. So do I put energy into those negative thoughts? It doesn't change anything, it just makes me feel a bit crappy. Or do I put the energy into the, the positive things? So it's a choice, and it's a choice that we all have. Yeah, it's harder to do it sometimes because we're naturally drawn towards the complaining and the whinging and the, you know, even if it's just making ourselves feel bad rather than our, to other people. But it's still a choice. And when we accept that it's a choice and then we start trying to change it, making a different choice, that's where things can really start to, to, to change. And I think to, to bring this full circle back to George, the running guy, mm -hmm. you're doing your, you know, whether it's running or Ironman or, you know, whatever your sport your, your goal might be, you're going to have days when your training does not go to plan. Mm. You, the, the rear mech on your bike is going to break. You're going to have a puncture. Um, it's going to be raining and cold when you want to go running. You're going to get an injury, whatever it may be. At that point, there can be, even for the most hardy, positive people out there, those moments where training can become all-consuming, and you can just go, 
this is never going to work, I'm not going to finish my race, and suddenly you get all this stress from something that should be giving you a lot of joy. Um, is there an opportunity there to, to flip that by simply using something like, what's good about this situation? Instead of dwelling on, like you're on the train, what, what am I grateful for? Instead of, oh God, the train's always late. Yeah. You know, that time, okay, I got injured six weeks out from my race, that's not good. But I could dwell on that, instead I could go, what's good about this? Mm-hmm. And just force yourself to come up with five answers. Yeah. See what it takes you. Is there anything in that? Does it trans- yeah, trans- absolutely. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an easy thing to do. It can feel a bit Pollyanna, where you're just looking for, if everything's positive, everything's good, head in the sand. Um, but if, if actually it's not going to change the situation, then you know, why not try and shift your mindset towards positive? Uh, I don't think, there's nothing wrong with feeling disappointed. There's nothing wrong with feeling sadness. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry or scared. Um, it, it, it's just an emotion. It's your body and your mind's way of, of giving you some, some signals, like the smoke alarm goes off. You don't think, oh, that smoke alarm keeps going off. You look for the fire. So those emotions, they, they will tell you something. And, and this is where you can track away and look back and think, well, what is it that it's trying to, it's trying to tell me? And what lessons can I take away from this? Uh, and a, you know, a closing kind of example story, if you will, uh, was last September I attempted the Frog Grand Round, um, I think I told you about this. Uh, wait, just just for, 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 uh, for context, the Bob Graham Round yes. is just about, what, the hardest thing in fell running? Um, even Scott Jurek, the uh, legendary US ultra runner, only made it by, by minutes in the 24-hour right. cutoff for this, this self-driven challenge around every... I can't remember how many peaks it is, but it's an insane amount of ascent and descent off-road in the Peak District. Um, brutal. The Frog Graham Round yeah, is wetter kind is of something else, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it starts at the same place, Keswick, and it goes, the Bob is, I think, 66 miles, 24-hour cut-off. There is no cut-off for the Frog, um, but it's, and it's only 40 miles. Still takes in some pretty hideous climbs. Um, and I think 16,000 feet of ascent in, in total. Um, and it's got four swims across various lakes. There's, well. there's the kicker, right? So yeah. it, basically we're talking a 40-mile self-navigated off-road trail run through fell country. Mm-hmm. Loads of ascent, descent, rough ground. Uh, pretty much forget foot pass the whole time. You're going to be hacking yeah. yourself across country with four swims thrown in. So we're talking yeah. swim run over 40 miles in the north of England. Yeah. It's not a heated pool, is it? How fast the swim is? It's not. The, the swims, they're not that long between sort of 300 metres and a mile, um, 1,800 metres, I think the longest one across Derwent Water. Uh, so I, I, I did this last year um, in September, or rather I attempted it. Um, and I got about, I was doing it with a chap called Guy, and uh, we would you know, do it with our support crew, because it's just talented to do it if you want. Just, so you check. You have to register in advance. Yeah, right? no, you don't register in advance. You just when you've done it, you just send off a picture of you at uh, Moot Hall uh, in, in um, Keswick, the beginning and the end, and your uh, your GPX. So here are times I was at various locations. Um, so we, we did it. We, we bombed up there, and you know, by that point, bear in mind, I've done my ten and ten. Then the next year, hundred miler. Then Ironman, another hundred miler. Uh, and, and at each time, tick, 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 tick. tick, tick. 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 Exactly. Big new challenge, tick. So Big I new challenge, got tick. this next one, and the, the, it never crossed my mind that I would not be able to complete it. It just wasn't, it wasn't something that I'd thought about. Which is a valuable part of the mindset which process. Is, which is What's your identity? Well, I always finish these things. Yeah, I, 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 I can, I'll train, I'll turn up, and I'll, I'll do it, I'll get through. Um, and we had the worst weather possible, like it was just horrendous. And in the end, it was just dangerous to be up there on the mountains. And so we got about a third of the way around, maybe a half the way around, and we're like, no, we have to, we have to count this. We were so far off schedule, we would have been swimming in the dark, which neither of us had ever done at the end. So we thought, right, we'll just, we'll just leave it. And my, my immediate reaction was disappointment, although I did enjoy eating the rest of the picnic that we prepared. That's, uh, that's always a bonus to function running, there's lots of food. Um, and and it was easy to blame the weather because it had been like nobody could argue that that weather was just hideous. But then I realised that I was giving away all of my power to the weather, and, and I was blaming the weather. And it was a reason, but it was masking a lot of lessons that, that I, I was on the cusp of learning. But so you would have missed those lessons. I would have missed if them. You'd only gone. 
It was bad weather, weather, that's why it didn't happen. Exactly. Even though it was bad weather, and it didn't happen. I, I've never been to the Lake District before. <laughs> like, strike one. That was my first visit. <laughs> that could have been handy. Well, they said, oh, you should go up and do a recce. Yeah, be fine. Like, you know, some hills in Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on the towpath. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very hilly. Um, I, I didn't have proper trail shoes. Um, I didn't have like a really sound way of navigating, so I had the um, the OS map app brilliant, but not so great in the rain when you've got to be getting your phone out and putting in a six-digit pin code to access it each time. And uh, okay, well, where am I going now? Because it was just teeming down with rain the whole time, really windy. Um, and and kind of all these, I had trained as well as I could have done. And what I realised was that I got complacent over those four those four weeks, over those four years of successfully achieving challenges. And in my mind, it's like, well, Tanner can do it. But the reality was I trained, I researched, I prepared myself to the nth degree for each of those. Um, and I hadn't done the same diligence, uh, kind of diligent preparation for this challenge. So what that meant was that I could, first of all, massive learning from, from that experience. But then I went away over the next six months and I put those problems, I solved them. So I did another recce of the area. I got better kit. As you know, sorting me out with some fantastic trail shoes. Wow, what a revelation. Wearing trail shoes, running on trails. Who'd have thought that would make a difference? Um, <laughs> Those running flats weren't yeah, the best thing after all. Exactly. <laughs> um, I got you know better kit all round. Uh, I kind of recce the area a lot more. So I, I did a lot more training and preparation for it. Went back in July uh, with a couple of guys, Nigel and Steve, um, and uh, we, we successfully completed it. And, and that meant more to me, having having had that problem, that that challenge, that failure back in September, than it would do would have done if I just turned up in September and had managed to do it. So yeah, great, fantastic. But it, I, I didn't I didn't earn it. You know, it's like Warren when you train for something and you you achieve it, you feel like you've earned that, and it's so much more powerful and meaningful than if you, if it's if something's easy. Uh, and that was the big thing that I took away from that. But that was the whole unpacking my thoughts. And, and taking that step back and thinking, all right, well, this is a failure, but what can I learn from this? And realizing where I was attributing the source of the failure, which was to the weather in that case, um, and, and saying, well, what else could I learn from this? Not just picking weekend better for the weather, but what else can I learn from this? And, and, and I figured out three or four things that, that I needed to do differently in order to be successful the next time. That's a really nice way of uh, sort of demonstrating how all this can come together. And I think it feeds into something I was reading recently. I've been reading a lot of Napoleon Hill stuff recently, mm-hmm. which certainly is dated. Um, it's famous. Uh, if you're coming to it fresh, it was written in what, the sort of 1930s, 40s, mm-hmm. 50s. It, it's of its time. Mm-hmm. But there is, like you say, there is some gold in there. And if anyone is interested in this sort of stuff, um, there is actually a series on Amazon Prime of his videos, Napoleon Hill's oh, Master right. Key seven minute videos, they're effectively the YouTube uh, sort of self-help motivation uh, achievement videos of their day. Wow. Um, and they really are of their day. But one of his things is every failure or defeat carries within it the seed of an equivalent or greater success. Mm. I've mangled the words a bit, but that's the sentiment. And that's what you were able to unpick with your Frog Graham, because Actually, it's totally legitimate, rough weather, if you'd say it was the weather. Yeah. But that, by uh, definition, means, well, if the weather clears up, then I'd have achieved it. Yeah. Which, if you look deep down, you think, well, no, I wasn't. I was not ready. I was too complacent. By taking that step further, going, um, what's good about this situation or you know, whatever process you use to get to that, you were able to pick it out and go, no, and, and to come back much stronger, much better, having learned a lot as a person, stuff that you can then feed back into your coaching and everything else, share with other people, and successfully achieve the challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that idea of every failure has the, the, the seed of a greater success, because uh, that's been my experience. Um, it, it's, it's not to play down the importance of doing the work on yourself to be able to find that when you're feeling like you're you know, your lowest point, your lowest ebb, and like feeling like you're a failure and it's just everything's going wrong. It's not easy to say, well, okay, fuck your ideas up, come on, what's the, where's the good in this? How can you be more optimistic? Because that, that kind of makes it harder and worse sometimes to think that you should be able to do it. Um, sometimes it just takes a bit of time. Um, but 
there is nearly always something positive that you can take from it, even if it's the way you respond to a real tragic adversity in your life, like something that wasn't in your control, it just happened and it was terrible. Um, the thing that you can influence, if not control, is your response to that, how you support other people around you, um, and, and then how you show up as a result of the, the way you process that. Um, and then you take that strength that you've built with this adversity into the next thing that you do. So it doesn't change the situation, um, bad things are going to happen, but it can change you, and it can change you positively or it can change you negatively. And a lot of time we do get to choose which way we go. George, I know it took us two and a half years to get to this point. <laughs> I am so glad we did. Um, and I know that in terms of points you have to get to, there's one you have to get to quite soon after this. So we'll try lunch. To, yeah, exactly. We'll, <laughs> we'll try to squeeze that lunch in quick. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, a great big thank you to George Anderson for coming and joining me for that conversation today. Um, and if you want to check out more of George's stuff, you can find him at bygeorgeanderson.com. Links are in the show notes below. And of course, remember, if you're looking for the very best in high-performance natural sports nutrition, don't go anywhere apart from 33fuel.com. We've got everything you could possibly need. So with that all covered, that's the admin done. Hope you enjoyed the show. Look forward to seeing you for another one. Thanks for joining us this time.